an inquisitor's visit to Antoria's holding. Dawn was just breaking when the first officer saw the two robed figures come up the companionway. He turned took two paces forward and saluted the inquisitor. Lord Malvik, Captain Vonnell's compliments, he will be on deck shortly. I heard the dispatch boat arrive less than an hour ago and know that the good captain is having to answer his superior's questions. I don't need to see him this morning as I am in a hurry. I knew you wanted to leave early so I had your men given breakfast an hour ago and have arranged for hot food and drink to be placed in your boat. Thank you, Lieutenant that is kind of you. So often such courtesies get accidentally forgotten when an inquisitor is involved. Lord Malvik, we both work for the good of the Empire. The inquisitor looked at the naval officer and nodded approvingly. His final report would destroy some careers but in the lieutenant's case he could see a promotion or two. An efficient marine lieutenant approached the two men and saluted neatly. Lord Malvik, the first officer performed the introduction. This is Lieutenant Commissioner Asa, who will be commanding your troops. He is the best small unit commander we have. The inquisitor nodded at the soldier, glad to have such an efficient-looking escort commander since he was likely to annoy the natives. The small flotilla of ornithopters rose from the flagship and headed inland. Malvik had compiled a list of every sighting of a refugee adept that had any reference to a cat that he felt needed to be investigated. Since the Darltorians only really controlled the territory within 30 miles of Henstrakel, three of the craft were only there to protect Malvik's boat. We will start at the Solarian Stones. Malvik decreed, there was an attempt to initiate the ritual, so we know that an adept was there. They seemed to notice our magical trap and broke out before they could be ensnared. The possibility that someone could evade our enchantment did not occur to the team that placed the snare. The next available patrol was diverted to pick up the sleeper. However according to the tracks, a cat had suddenly stepped out of the pattern and gone directly to the hilltop where the trackers lost the traces. However, cat prints were found leading northwards. The following night a specialized hunting party was sent out to track down the fugitive. It should have been an easy job but according to an inquisitor who accompanied them they found a patch where the size of the paw prints increased dramatically, and the creature's gait lengthened to show that it had grown. This creature managed to outrun the pursuit. A hunter had himself flown slowly over the path following day and was convinced that the fugitive was making informed decisions to evade our party. My lord, it would help me to understand how we can best serve you if you could let me know what you are looking for? The marine lieutenant said respectfully. My men have been trained to be observant and they might spot something without being aware of its significance. Lieutenant you make a good point. The fact is I don't know exactly what I am seeking. So ask your men to inform you if they see something unusual. Tell them there will be no repercussions if they spot something that turns out to be ordinary. When looking for a needle in a haystack there are an awful lot of straws to sort through. It was not often that an inquisitor received any genuine assistance and Malvik was honest enough to realize that most people were afraid of his kind. Lady Estelle believed that generating fear made their work easier and for most part Malvik agreed. However, he was interested in seeing what would happen if people were rewarded for helping him. Lieutenant, please tell your men but if any of them spot something that advances my investigation, I will arrange for all of them to have extra leave and a free weekend pass for the games. There was a moment of stunned silence then the atmosphere in the boat improved markedly. My lord have you seen the Valley of Stones before? The boat's petty officer broke into his reverie while pointing over the ornithopter's bow. Malvik, remembering barely in time that he was experimenting with being cordial to underlings, managed to turn a cold retort into an interested, no. He stood up and looked in the indicated direction. In front of the airboat was a large valley around 10 miles across, and running many leagues southwards, although the ground rose to forested down several miles to the north. 
The Valley of the Stones was comprised of rolling grassland with some widely scattered copses. In the center a perfectly symmetrical and obviously artificial mound rose steeply from the valley floor. This hill was topped with a flat summit and Malvik was high enough to see the Solarian stones set out on this small plateau. A pathway wound around the side of the mound to provide access and its chalk surface was clearly visible in the bright sunlight. The stones were arranged in three overlapping rings so that there was a small central area that lay within all three circles. Right in the exact center of the pattern was a single stone. Surrounding the overlapping rings was a circular stone path, that he thought probably marked a threshold to the shrine. A few paces further out there was a small wall. This boundary appeared to be the work of a later hand and from his current distance he thought it might be a dry stone wall. Unlike the shrine it had weathered and some of the stones had tumbled down. Malvik did not think there was any inimical magic about the shrine as a plenty of smaller creatures were visible on the hilltop. At the Inquisitor's direction Malvik's ornithopter swung round the hilltop so he could get a good look at the whole enclosure. He noticed with approval that while he was doing this the other three in his flotilla landed equidistantly around the base of the hill and the marines fanned out covering the approaches. It was obvious that Vonnel and his first lieutenant had taken care to make sure that his mission succeeded. The boat's crews and the marines were quite obviously the best they had, and he had noticed that an extra two boats had been segregated near his own. They were the type of officers he approved of, unlike their admiral who had left his command to stay in the palace soon after his fleet had arrived at Henstrackle. Although he knew that the Empire would conquer the realms, the interrogator did not think it would be an easy victory. It was his duty to give Darlter the best chance he could. That evening he decided he would arrest the Admiral for dereliction of duty. He was certain that a small investigation could be steered to find evidence of capital crimes. Then he would have the incompetent senior officer executed. Vonnel and Bretrian would be promoted to fill the gaps his action would leave in the command structure of the fleet. The petty officer landed the ornithopter at the extreme edge of the plateau and Malvik alighted to examine the ancient shrine. Lanterny following his captor noticed that the closer they got to the monument the weaker the circlet's control became. He wanted to run but knew that not only was such an action bound to fail but it would reveal to Malvik that he was starting to recover. Then he felt a mere whisper of power that he knew to be his own. He smiled to himself. Kathkin had succeeded in his trust. The old wizard steadfastly refused to even look in the direction where his treasure lay. He had to appear to be completely under the Darltorian circlet's control. A shout from one of the marines drew their attention to one of the stones nearest the edge of the plateau so Lanterny followed Malvik to see what the man was waving at. The man had seen a small piece of charcoal sticking out from below a plant that was growing close against the stone. Malvik carefully parted the leaves and saw a few very, small runic characters and clear evidence that many more had previously been written there and rubbed out. It looks like the rebels were using this as a message drop. Malvik smiled then turned to the petty officer. Get three men to copy exactly what they see here. I want this taken back to Henstrackle for translation. It is most important that I know what our quarry wrote here. Yes, my lord, the marine responded. If you approve, I'll ask for a copy of these runes to be made and given to all patrol leaders, with an instruction to actively look for other examples? A good suggestion. I'll make sure that the guard commander also does this. The Inquisitor looked around the shrine but without any real curiosity and then walked to the edge of the plateau and stared northwards. Lieutenant, are there any prominent settlements directly to the north of here? No Lord Malvik. Then where was our quarry heading? Lord Malvik. When your mage escaped from the city, we had already started aerial patrols. I think he went north to get into cover of the woods. If I were trying to escape pursuit, I would have followed the line of the road, but kept within the tree line. 
It was my intention to follow his line of escape across the plain since the timing suggests that he camped quite soon after he left the mound. I think he must have been exhausted and decided to rest for a day so he could travel on the following night. In that case I think he would have camped in cover, my lord. There are few enough viable sites, so we could land the ornithopter near each of them and sweep the copses. Do that. Tell me when you find something. With that curt instruction Lord Malvik pulled his hood further over his face and leaning back in his chair shut his eyes. The marines swept all the small copses where a man could hide during daylight. However, they found no trace of a campsite. The lieutenant was starting to get slightly worried since the inquisitor was not known to be a patient man. Lieutenant. His sergeant approached him and having been acknowledged continued. If I may be bold sir, I think we are approaching this like marines who habitually travel by airboat. If I was on my feet and possibly fearing pursuit, I would be using the stream bed as my roadway. If we were to send a couple of marines up the stream, they may find marks on the bank where somebody scrambled out. Good idea sergeant. The marine lieutenant smiled at his non-commissioned officer. Please do that. I trust you will use whichever soldiers who have fallen below your normal impeccable standards. My very thoughts sir. One of those I have in mind is too stupid to take off his boots before waiting and a day with wet feet may prove to be an object lesson. As will polishing his boots later. There was only one real stream that led northwards and although there were small patches of vegetation along its line there was only one copse that was large enough to provide decent shelter. He ordered the ornithopter to land on a patch of firm ground and watched his two men walk along the stream and enter the woods. About three minutes later one of them came splashing back. Lieutenant noticed that he had removed his boots and looped them by their laces around his neck. The marine had something clenched in his hand and his officer walked a few paces to meet him by the stream bank. Yes private? Sir we couldn't find anywhere where someone had climbed out of the stream. But I remembered the inquisitor saying something about a cat. He held out his hand and the lieutenant saw that he was holding a tattered snakeskin in his hand. And? Well sir I grew up in the south and we had some snakes that bothered the hencoops. Now our farm cats would kill them, and I remember their corpses looked quite like this after the cats had eaten their kills. Thank you private. The marine officer carefully took the snakeskin I went back to the airboat. Not bothering to board he walked to the gunnel near the inquisitor. My lord, would a shapeshifter create enough magic to be detected by one of our watchers if they were to alter their shape? I'm not certain lieutenant. Malvik replied, it would probably depend on the type of incantation being used. Why do you ask? If our quarry thought that might be a risk, is it possible he might stay in his feline form? I don't think there's any reason why a shapeshifter can't stay in another form as long as they want. Well, my lord. One of my men found this snakeskin and told me that the damage done to it is typical of the injuries inflicted by his farm cats. This being the case and remembering you said that there was evidence that our quarry changed size while being pursued. I would say that you have arrived at a reasonable proposition. He would be even less likely to shift shape if he were tired. Several adepts have told me that it is easy to exhaust yourself by casting too often. Turning to the helmsman Malvik pointed upwards and ordered. Take me to Antoria's holding. Yes, my lord, the petty officer replied. I am required to remind you that we will be entering hostile territory. Thank you. The inquisitor responded and turning to the marine officer ordered him to signal that all the boats were to be ready to fight. The four ornithopters came over a ridge to see the village of Antoria's holding laid out in the valley in front of them. The escorting boats started to spread out to surround the village when a sudden stream of smoke started on a hilltop about two miles away. The marine lieutenant turned his distance glasses towards it and saw that a prepared beacon had been ignited. The wood, obviously treated with inflammable chemicals, caught quickly and the smoke turned red. 
Signal boat 1. He ordered the helmsman. Destroy that beacon. The marine officer turned to the inquisitor. My lord they have ignited a beacon. From our intelligence reports the enemy are quite quick to respond. I cannot guarantee you more than half an hour before they can interfere with your day. Half an hour will be more than enough. Lieutenant. I just need to talk to a witness or two. The other two escorting boats touched down and their marines disembarked taking up initial covering positions as Malvik's boat landed. I want to talk to either Davy or Piers. They spoke to a patrol leader who made a follow-up visit here. The Inquisitor commanded. Yes, my lord. The marine lieutenant jogged forward to take his place with half of the soldiers from the command boat, leaving the rest under a corporal to act as Malvik's personal guard. The officer shouted a few orders and his men started advancing into the village. The troops were working well in pairs one moving while the other covered him with his rifle. There was an unusual silence, as if the world was holding its breath, the steam hissing out of thirty rifles sounding like a pit of hungry vipers. A flicker in the sky caught Malvik's attention and he looked up expecting to see the airboat attacking the beacon. Instead, a small silver circle appeared in the sky over the beacon and mist was poured out of it quickly roiling into a torus. The vapor rapidly thickening into a dark angry cloud. The boat's commander raised the bow of his craft and with a gout of steam his boat cannon fired one of its semi-living projectiles with the marines joining fire with their rifles. The Inquisitor watched keenly expecting to see the tentacled pseudo-creatures ripping the spell apart. To his shock the missile struck the cloud and vanished with flashes of counter-magic. The ornithopter fired again its crew obviously expecting to overwhelm the spell with continual fire confident in their mechanical advantage. The silver disc in the center of the cloud started to buckle and, for a moment, Malvik thought that the spell was crumbling under the Darltorian attack. Then a gigantic arm reached out of the torus, it looked like it was formed from the dense cloud, but he was sure it was modeled on a real arm since he could clearly see a tattoo on the wrist. The hand opened, grasped the ornithopter and squeezed. Then the spell vanished leaving a shattered wreck to fall spilling its crew to their deaths. Lieutenant, find those boys, Malvik shouted his voice shaking with the shock of what he'd just seen. That had been a demonstration of magical power such as the Empire had never faced before. My lord please get back into the ornithopter now. The corporal in charge of Malvik's guard ordered the Inquisitor, causing the robed man to swing angrily on him. Who do you think you are? He hissed his hand going to a small rod on his belt. My lord, the scouts have signaled that the village is empty. There is no livestock in the fields or smoke from any of the chimneys. Lieutenant Asa has started a withdrawal. Are you suggesting I would run from an empty village? The corporal knew that if he gave the robed man the smallest, reason he would be dead. No, my lord. The soldier managed to keep an admirably impassive face. The only reason for you to reboard is that your craft has better weapons than the other two and if the lieutenant needs an aerial observation platform, then he may need your ornithopter to take off rapidly. If it comes to running fight, then your presence in the air directing matters could take all the difference. Very well corporal, lead on. Malvik knew that the man had been patronizing him and determined to punish his presumption. He would find some excuse to denounce the man after they were back at the flagship. No sooner were the Inquisitor and his robed companion on board than the corporal pumped his fists skywards and the ornithopter leapt into the air. Helmsman, take her back about ten boat lengths and hover just above the ground. The Inquisitor wanted an explanation, but he knew better than to interrupt a professional when his own life might be at stake. Malvik didn't understand what was happening, however the naval petty officer appeared proficient. Lord Malvik, the boat commander said over his shoulder. We've learned through bitter experience that it is not a good idea for one of these boats to remain on the ground for any length of time in a hostile environment. 
The enemy must have an observer somewhere who was able to direct the spell that killed our ornithopter. All three boats will pull back and hover to support the troops. Then as we provide cover while the other two ornithopters dart in and pick up the marines. So, we are going to run away? No Lord Malthic. We will return to the fleet transfer to the heavy ornithopters and come back with sufficient magenniers to analyze that defensive spell and counter it. The petty officer turned fully to face the Inquisitor. As we lost an ornithopter I hope the Admiral will authorize us to drop a mixed load of pseudolife and constructs onto one of their towns. They should learn the horrific consequences for opposing us. You would kill thousands for the loss of less than twenty of our men? And count them lucky my lord. Malvik smiled. The hatred in the man's voice was music to him and he realized how much he loathed the Emperor's approach. It was true, he had to admit to himself, that the current policy of subversion left relatively little that needed to be rebuilt. The drawback was that it could take years slowly corrupting the structure of a state. The Inquisitor smiled to himself, a month of horror during which the demons in the crystal were freed to enjoy themselves without restriction, from one full moon to another, would stop all thoughts of resistance. As well as being fun to watch. The ornithopter touched down just below a ridge giving him a good view of the village and the marines withdrawing from it. Lieutenant Asa was indeed very good at his job. At no time were more than a quarter of the marines in motion and when they did move, they never crossed into another man's field of fire. Malvik watched the troops condense into two mutually supporting rings. The formation puzzled him initially but remembering the petty officer's comments he realized that this was where the two ornithopters would touch down to extricate the troops. The enemy made no move, indeed since the admittedly spectacular spell destroyed the airboat, they had done nothing. Suddenly angry, Malvik pictured the observers laughing as the Darltorian marines ran like frightened rabbits. The interrogator snatched up a pair of goggles and focused on the marines. Making sure that a circle engraved on the lens covered the lieutenant Malvik pressed his finger against a small spike on the device allowing a small drop of blood to activate one of the recessed crystals. The marine officer turned towards the ornithopter as the mechanical device linked a crystal in his helmet to the one in the goggles. There must be enemy observers, the interrogator screamed as anger making his voice shrill. Lieutenant, send out patrols, we don't leave until we have captured them. I want to make a memorable example that even these peasants can understand. Continue the extraction. The lieutenant's voice cut over that of the robed man. Malvik drew in his breath to scream at the man only to be momentarily silenced by the look of open contempt in the officer's eyes although the rest of his face was suitably impassive. Make it sharp. The lieutenant's orders carried clearly through the mechanical link. Lord Malvik wants to find the observers. Once all the boats are airborne I want the lookout scanning the surrounding hills for the enemy. When we locate them, Squad 1 will land and scoop them up. Malvik drew in his breath to order the lieutenant's immediate arrest before realizing that he was reacting to the man's look of contempt. The lieutenant was probably well enough connected at court to force a court-martial if arrested and all the witnesses would attest that rather than countermanding the interrogator the marine's orders were a practical implementation of his instructions. Perhaps it would be better to find out more about the lieutenant before acting, he might have a close friend or relative who could be arrested in his stead. That might goad the marine into some intemperate reaction that could be reasonably punished. Malvik smiled maliciously and watched the troops. Even as the ornithopters came into land in the middle of the two formations, the Inquisitor opened his mouth to counterman the extraction and order the troops to make a proper search of the village. High words died in his mouth as seven loud explosions thundered out around the valley. He looked up as fugas-type mortars exploded along the ridge line. Looking at the spurting fire it was obvious that the realms were unable to get a consistent quality of powder for their devices. 
Then seeing the large casks that had been thrown into the air he realized that whoever had designed this trap had intentionally varied the explosive power so that the missiles would blanket the approaches to the village. The people who had set the trap had understood Darltorian tactics and had aimed for the most likely places for an ornithopter to pick up troops. Lieutenant Asa saw the casks blasting into the air and instinctively knew what weapon was. Get under cover, anything you can find. Those who can't find sanctuary try to destroy one of the missiles, the marine officer knew that the second piece of advice was useless, but the only thing he could do was to offer his doomed soldiers the illusion that there was something they could do to save their lives. He was proud of his command and hated the stupid invasion that had led them to this. Overhead there were seven loud cracks as the casks came apart releasing several dozen weighted steel javelins. It was at that moment that some of his men broke and tried to board an ornithopter, capsizing it in their panic. He noted rather distantly that lightning was arcing between some of the bolts. It was apparent that someone on the other side believed in overkill. Lieutenant, help me. A boy, a senator's son he remembered, who he had been made to take on as a cadet, ran up to him. Asso was about to tell him to die like a man, then realized that he had the power to save one person, though ironically not himself. With mere moments to spare he knocked the youth into a nearby pond and threw himself into the water covering the boy with his own body. Mercifully, Asid did not see the javelins ripping into his command, each bolt swerving towards a man magically attracted towards the soldier's mechanical devices. As they hit the electric charge on each bolt arced out killing those who were not slain outright by the javelins. The arcing charge overload of the Darltorian crystals adding a second cataclysmic sheet of energy. Asa felt a bolt slice into his back before his world ended. The Inquisitor stumbled as his boat's commander threw every bit of power he had into escaping. Two of the eight sails burst and one of the large spars cracked, but the boat managed to limp back to the fleet. Copyright, Robert M. Moore 2022, all original rights reserved.